Hey, this is Pastor Bradley, and I want to welcome you to the Res Church podcast. Res Church is a place where people discover life through knowing and following Jesus. And so we hope that you will be blessed by this message. Good morning, everybody. If you're new to Res Church, uh, we're so glad that you're here. Res regulars, welcome our guests that are with us here to this morning. Amen. It's a great day. I'm excited that you're here. Excited to be here. A couple of, uh, I guess just opening remarks. We as a church, if you're not familiar with Res, we typically study straight through books of the Bible. Uh, we are currently in a study through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we've reached chapter 11. We actually spent five weeks in, or four or five weeks in the first 13 verses of chapter 11, so we don't go fast. We just take our time and we try to see what's there because these are the words that are inspired, right? These are infallible words that God inspired human authors to write, so we want to see what God has to say to us in his word. My commentary is fallible, so we're very much a church that's committed to studying the word verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Um, We are taking a little bit of a break from that study through Luke to introduce the first ever, we believe this is going to be an annual thing, Easter season. Now, if you're familiar with Advent, a lot of churches celebrate Advent. We do here at Resurrection Church. We take four weeks to meditate on and celebrate the incarnation of Christ, the birth of Christ. We do that leading up to Christmas. You might also be familiar with churches that uh, observe Lent or the Lenten season, which begins at Ash Wednesday, which was several weeks ago, a few weeks ago, and goes all the way up to Easter Sunday. Um, Easter season is, for us, is going to be kind of a hybrid of those two things, if you will. We're going to take really five weeks starting today, but four specific Sundays to celebrate Easter season. We're going to talk about what that's going to be about, what the theme is, what we're focusing on, but it's all leading up to Easter Sunday and Resurrection Sunday. Uh, And we have some goals in mind. I'm going to talk to you about those, but just all that to say, it's a little bit different than what we normally do, but that doesn't mean we're not going to worship in the Word. We are going to worship in the Word. We're going to look at a lot of Scripture today, and we're going to do our best to Be true to what the Word of God says. Sound good? All right. Open your Bibles with me. John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Just going to start with a couple of verses, again, which is unusual for us. But these two verses are interesting. As John tells us why he wrote this book or why he was inspired to write this book, as we know it, the Gospel of John. John chapter 20, Marie verses 30 and 31. Love hearing those pages turn. And let me welcome those that are online this morning. Sometimes I forget to do that, but that doesn't mean we don't appreciate the fact that you're joining us. So welcome those of you that are joining online. John chapter 20, verse 30, John says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Thank you for that, John. You might feel a little FOMO coming on. How many of you have no idea what FOMO means? Raise your hand. 
Oh, look at that. Fear of missing out. Now you get it, right? What is that about, John? Jesus did many other things that you didn't write for his disciples. What's that about? But then look at verse 31. But these, he's talking about everything that's in this gospel. These are written so that you may believe. Can we just say believe together? Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, can we say believing together? Believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. So John's talking about two facets of our believing. Okay, two facets of our believing. Number one, he's talking about the inaugural belief that we understand as the moment of salvation. When someone is born again, I do think that there is a point in time for every believer where they go from being not saved to saved. Okay, there's a point in time where you go from being Dead in your sin, right? Lost without hope, with no place to begin. And then by his grace and his mercy, he makes you alive. You are born again. There's a point in time at which that happens. And some of you could probably take me to the place and the time and the date where that happened. Right? I remember Pastor Barr, our pastor emeritus, who he, he would tell me all the time, he could remember the altar, the church, where it was, what time it was, what was going on, who was preaching that day, when he came to the altar, and that is the moment where he was born again. And I think that happens for a lot of Christians. But how many of you would say, you know you're born again, you know you're saved, you know you believe, but you can't exactly point to the time or place or the specific moment where you went from being unsaved to saved or dead in your sin to born again. How many of you say, I just don't know exactly when that time was? I'm raising my hand too, okay? Both are true. You, you can know when that happened, or it, you might not just have that specific moment where you kind of crossed over that huge chasm from death to life, but that's okay. The point is, that's why I said, we don't just celebrate what we believe, we celebrate also that we believe. Because that is the work of God. So this inaugural moment, how does the Bible help us understand that? Let's flip a few pages to John chapter 1, okay? John chapter 1. What I'm doing is we're laying some biblical foundation for what this Easter season is going to be about, okay? John chapter 1, this is an amazing set of verses here. We're going to start in verse 9. John chapter 1, verse 9. The true light, who is that? Jesus. John hasn't told us that by this point in the gospel, but that's what we know. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world... He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. How tragic is that? I mean, stop and think about that for a minute. 
Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into the world that he made, and we didn't know him. What a tragedy. Verse 11, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Then verse 12, pay attention to the words. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Wow. Verse 13 is what I call overkill. He's trying to make sure we understand something. What is that? You hear a lot of people, a lot of Christians, talk about salvation in this way. Okay? And I'm not, if you talk about salvation this way, if you think about your salvation this way, don't hear me say that you're doing something entirely wicked when you talk this way. I just want to help you see that our salvation, being brought from death to life, it's deeper, richer, gooder than we typically think. Okay? You hear people say this I made a decision to believe. I made a decision to follow Christ. It's just simply not what the Bible teaches. No one, nowhere in Scripture do we find any indication whatsoever that mankind, human beings, make a decision on their own. That's not to say that our our effort and our, our cognition and our emotion aren't involved, but nowhere in Scripture do we get the indication that we believe entirely on our own. The, the real question that I think every believer must wrestle with and must come to understand if you're going to experience the joy of salvation to its fullest is what or who was the decisive cause in my new birth? And here's what John says and makes it so abundantly clear. Those who receive, that word means lay hold of. Look at verse 12 again. To as many as received him, that means to lay hold of, are those who have believed in his name. Believe means trust, confidence, and dependence. You with me? Those who receive and believe, he says in verse 12, are those who are given the right, and that means the power, to become children of God. You tracking? So those who receive, lay hold of, are those who believe, have faith, confidence, trust in the Lord Jesus. And those receiving, believing ones are the ones who are given the right or the power. It takes power New birth takes power to become the children of God. So receiving, believing children of God are who? Verse 13, they are those who are born. How much did you have to do with your natural birth? Okay. Who were born, brought forth, or begotten. That's what that word means. So receiving, believing Children of God are those who were born. Well, how were they born, John? Verse 13, not by blood. What is that? That's by natural means. 
They weren't born by any natural means, nor of the will of the flesh. So there was no human determination. Okay? Human determination is not what brought this about. Then he says, or of man. That's why I say this is so overkill. Because it's like he wants us to be sure this didn't happen because of nature. This didn't happen because of the determination of man. And it didn't happen through parenthood. How did it happen? By God. God did something that brought you forth into your believing. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't that make you want to rejoice? There's just nowhere in Scripture that we can conclude that our believing... See, the reason I stood up at the end of that song and I said, do you believe this? Yes, and we rejoice in what we believe God has done. But do you rejoice in the fact that you believe it? You should. That's a whole nother level of joy because, listen, Jesus looked at his disciples one time and he said, you didn't choose me, I... Think about the Apostle Paul. <laughs> Did he make a decision to follow Jesus? I don't think so. Look at Acts 9, verse 4 through 6. This is on the Damascus Road. Jesus interrupts his uh, persecution of the church. And verse 4 and falling to the ground, he heard, talking about Paul or Saul at this point, a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and you might think Jesus would just give an altar call right there and say, all right, Saul, repeat this prayer after me if you want to know. Look what he said. And he said, verse 5, who are you, Lord? And, and he said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Verse 6, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. He doesn't even have a choice. Jesus interrupted Saul and said, you're mine now. And that's what he did for Emily. That's what he did for Amber and Brian and Tanya and Eric and Steve and Rachel, Zeke and Beth, Bradley, and Mary, Joseph, and Zach. He interrupted your life. Even if you don't know the exact moment where it began or where it culminated, you just know he came and he said, you're mine now. You belong to me and you believed. And in believing, you've become a child of God. And you feel the peace wash over you, don't you? We sang it, perfect submission. All is it. Blessed assurance. You can't taste blessed assurance if you don't understand that your believing is not owing to you. You didn't conjure it up. You didn't manufacture it. He brought it about. Here's how I think this plays out. Where'd my marker go? What did I do with it? Up oh, here it is. I did something with it. This is what happens at my home is I, I, I say to Mary, Mary, where are fill in the blank? Assuming that she did something with it, and usually I'm the one that did something with it. 
Here's how I think this works. Over here, if you can't see this, I'm going to write knowledge. No, actually, I don't want to do knowledge right there. I'm going to write trust, confidence, faith, okay? Faith is all of those things. And then over here, on this line, we're going to have knowledge. Both are necessary for salvation. It's possible to have knowledge of Jesus and no trust, confidence, or faith in him. Satan knows a lot. On this scale, we might put Satan over here. Lots of knowledge. You know, you read the Gospels, particularly the Gospel of Mark, and as Jesus begins his earthly ministry, who are the first beings to recognize him? Demons. They knew who he is. Who are, what are you doing here, Jesus? What have you to do with us? Don't torture us. Don't torment us. And he silenced them. Satan knows a lot, but there's no trust or confidence. Okay? So what I think happens is that at some point in all of us, all of our lives who are believing ones, God begins a work that, might, that starts with awakening our dead hearts, opening our blind eyes. It's a work of the Spirit. It's a work of His grace. What happens is we start to learn and our trust and confidence goes up the more we learn. He invites us along. And I really believe this. I think Jesus brings people along incrementally on this journey. Right? I, I don't think that Peter and John, when they were cleaning their nets by the seashore and Jesus called them to follow him and said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. I don't think they had it all figured out at that point and they were ready to die for him. I think they were curious and it was their day off. And lo and behold, they follow him to the synagogue on, his, on their day off and he casts a demon out of a person. Then he heals Peter's mother-in-law and they're like, this is interesting. But it's way sometime later before it comes out of Peter's mouth, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, right? So our believing, our trust and confidence and our knowledge begins to grow. And at some point, that culminates in what we might call, what we do call, the new birth, where a person goes from being not saved to saved, being dead in their sin to being born again. It's possible that some of you in this room are still in here somewhere. It's possible that some of you are newly born again, and it's possible that some of you are beyond this, and this we'll talk about this in just a few minutes, but the point is, there's a work of God in all of this. There's a work of God that brings us to faith, okay? So, just so we can reinforce the point, look at these verses on the screen. John chapter 6, verse 44. Jesus said this, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. John chapter 10, verse 27 and 29. My, Jesus again, My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, 
and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Isn't that awesome? So, the second aspect of this believing that John's talking about, he says, these are written that you might believe, and I think that is referring to this inaugural moment where by the work of God, our trust and confidence and faith and knowledge reaches a point where the Spirit executes the new birth. But then he says, and that by believing, you might have life in his name, which means what? It means that on the other side of the new birth, this is not check the Jesus box and move on, right? And, and sadly, that is how it's talked about in a lot of places. Come down to the front, repeat this prayer. You're good. Check this box on a connect card and say yes. And, and what, what I think how, that falls so short of recognizing that there's this just continued growth in belief and knowledge that continues on and on. It never stops. We continue to believe. Listen, two things I want to say about that. If a person is being drawn to Jesus by the Father, they will be born again. It will happen. Okay? Why, why do you say that, Bradley? Because it's the work of God. If God lays claim on one of his children, they will be his children. And Jesus made it clear. The Father's given them to me. No one's going to take them out of my hand. Okay? So if a person's being drawn, they will believe. Their knowledge and their trust and confidence will grow until that point. And, and listen, you might have noticed we don't do a whole lot of altar calls here at Res Church, or we don't do the raise your hand if you want to get saved kind of thing. Some of that, the reason why we don't do a whole lot of that is because I've had to learn not to despise the pace of God in somebody else's life. I feel like having everybody bow their heads, close their eyes, count to three if you want to be saved leaves too much room for manipulation for people to respond, sometimes in a vacuum of knowledge. Sometimes to check a box on a card when maybe their faith and trust and confidence isn't quite there yet. That doesn't mean that I think they're not going to be saved. I think they will. But you know in Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit was poured out, 120 in the upper room and all these crazy things started happening and a crowd gathers outside and, and some said, these people are drunk. Others said, but no, we hear the wonders of God being proclaimed in our own tongues and these men are from Galilee. What in the world's going on? Peter stands up and says, this is what was prophesied. This Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. And then he says, everybody bow your head and close your eyes. No, he doesn't do that. <laughs> the way Acts 2 reads, it's almost like he throws that out there and then he's like, I'm going back in the upper room. And they go, wait. What must we do to be saved? Peter says, repent, all of you, and be baptized in his name. If someone's here, anywhere in here, at some point, they're going to say, what must I do to be saved? God will have his own, okay? So 
those whom the Father is drawing will be born again. Okay? Here's the other thing. When a person is born again, they will continue to grow in trust and confidence and dependence and knowledge in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is assured. Otherwise, why do we sing blessed assurance? Okay, Bradley, I need more than an old hymn to root that kind of claim because that's massive. I'm glad you asked. That's important. Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13. Let's turn there. Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13. Paul writes and says, Therefore, my beloved, you've heard this, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's scary, isn't it? Work it out with fear and trembling. Does that mean that we are... We're saved, but we're scared to death that we're going to get unsaved. Which means I have to stay off the interstate, if that's true. Like, I, I lose my salvation every time. It's just not going to happen. Okay? <laughs> Why does he say fear and trembling? The word fear there... In this context, means reverence and respect. So with reverence and respect, work out your salvation. But then he adds with trembling, so we're not getting off scot-free, right? It's like trembling. It literally means to quake. So if you put those two together, it does make sense. Reverence and respect with trembling. That sounds a lot like this is desperate dependence. Doesn't it? In other words, we realize we must be saved. It's why when, when you talk to your children about baptism and you're kind of wrestling with whether or not they're ready to be baptized, what you want to see is not just that they can articulate knowledge. That's part of it. But when we realize that someone's ready to be baptized, what we're seeing is not only knowledge, but there's also this, I must have Jesus. I must have his sacrificial atonement in order, even if a kid can't fully articulate it with those big words, I, I need Jesus in order for my sins to be forgiven. There needs to be some level of desperate dependence, some level of fear and trembling along with knowledge. Do you see that? Now, if Paul left us right there, that'd be the scariest verse in the Bible. But look at verse 13. For, everybody say for. You could insert because. For and because mean basically the same thing. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because for it is God who works in you both to will and work according to his good pleasure. It's God's work here, right? And it's God's work here. Some of you are kicking against the goads. If you don't know what that means, go back and read Paul's conversion story. Goads were these spikes they would put on the front of the plow so if the ox got ornery, 
and didn't want to plow and would reach back and kick with his hind legs, guess what happened? He got bloody. And who won? The farmer. You might be resisting the work of God in your believing right now. And here's what I'll tell you. I had to learn this the hard way in my own life. You can do that. I don't think it means you're going to hell. You're just going to get bloody. Because he will have his own. He will bring you to desperate dependence, trust, confidence in the knowledge of him. You will be conformed to his image. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's Romans 8. Ephesians 1, we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world to be what? Holy and blameless. He will conform you. That's why we sing blessed assurance. I've come to understand that my blessed assurance, at times I feel bliss about that. And then there are times when I've kicked against the goads that that blessed assurance feels a little painful because he won't let me alone. He will keep me. Okay. Now, here's a, here's a passage that I think sums up everything we've talked about so far. 1 Peter chapter 1. You know this. We'll go there. 1 Peter chapter 1. I want to read this, and then we're going to start to talk about what this Easter season thing is going to be all about. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's worshiping. Why? According to his great mercy, he has caused us. If you need any more proof, as to what the decisive cause of your believing is, there it is. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance, I think that is our conformity to the image of Christ. We're going to be like him, right? We will be changed in the moment and twinkling of an eye. This mortality is going to put on immortality. That's our inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. That sounds like it's secure, doesn't it? Then look at this. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith? That just stands everything about I made a decision and I conjure up the belief that ushers in my salvation. It stands all of that on its head. My, the faith I have, the believing, rejoice in what we believe, rejoice in that we believe. My believing, my trust, my confidence, my faith is the result of God's power. And that power is purposed to guard me, to keep me for the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's amazing. We, we, should, we should get the band back up here and sing Blessed Assurance again. We would all have a much deeper, richer joy in that assurance now, right? Because we see God's power is guarding me through faith. Your believing is God wrapping his arms around you and keeping you. Verse 6, in this you rejoice... 
Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. You know what that stands on its head? That our joy in Christ, our joy in salvation, has nothing to do with our circumstantial realities. I heard, a, I heard a preacher say just this week that he wanted people to understand, and he was talking about this in the context of prosperity and health and everything going well, that he, said, he, he gave a token acknowledgement to suffering and then said, I just want people to understand that God is good. And, and you read between the lines with that, when that kind of teaching gets put out there, people conclude wrongly that God is only being good to me, that there's only cause to rejoice when things are going exactly like I want them to. Peter just shattered that paradigm. In this you rejoice. In what? That God has, in his great mercy, caused me to be born again. That I have an inheritance, namely my conformity to the image of Christ, that is kept in heaven for me, and it's unfading, it's imperishable, it, 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 it's certain. And in the meantime, on my way to that, I'm being guarded by God's power through my believing. And in this I rejoice, even when I face a light and momentary affliction, like cancer or the death of a loved one. I'm not trivializing that. But in light of our eternal hope, those are light and momentary. I'll stop there. You might be, I said this already, you might be a person who's just beginning to believe. You might be a person who has just been born again, maybe not that long ago. Whether or not you know the exact moment whether or not you understand if you're somewhere in here or here, that, that's not really the primary concern at this point. The primary concern is, do you realize God is drawing you to his son? He's calling you. He's claimed you. And he wants you to grow in knowledge and in faith and confidence. Some of you may be mature and well on your way to an ever-deepening dependence and trust and confidence in the Lord. And some of you might be stuck somewhere in here kicking against the goats. Regardless, this is what Easter season is all about. We want to lean in to this work of God that results in our believing and our continued ever-deepening belief that we might have life in his name. And what I want you to know before we get into any of that, it's a sure work. It's his work to do and it will happen. You will participate with him in that. Brother, it makes me feel like a puppet. I'm, I'm sorry if you feel that way. But here's what I come to understand the more I read scripture is that if, if, if we are gonna sing we read this in Ephesians and we sing about it, that I was dead in my trespasses and sins. I don't know about you, but I haven't seen a lot of corpses accomplish a whole lot. And the Bible's explicit about that language. And I, here's what I know is that 
the joy of my salvation that Scripture lauds and that God wants me to have is rooted in my confidence in Him, not in me. So know that and understand that before we get any further with this. I'll say this, and then I'm going to unpack what we're going to do. This is, over the next four weeks, it's a great time to invite. We've been talking a lot about participation with Jesus in his kingdom work, particularly through prayer. For some of you, the Lord's connected you with somebody or multiple somebodies that you have a sense that the Lord is drawing them, drawing them to faith. They don't, they're, they're not going to church anywhere, and you have a sense that the Lord's invited you to participate with him in his work and their life. These next four weeks are going to be a great time. I don't think that inviting people to church is the primary way that people go from this space to here. I think this is primarily a gathering for believers where believers are discipled. But the next four weeks is going to be a great time to invite people because we're going to be talking about nuts and bolts of the gospel and also how we as, regardless of where you are in this spectrum of believing, how we grow deeper in our believing. So they might be saved and just struggling, not going to church anywhere. Either way, the next four weeks are going to be a great time to invite people. So what are we going to do? We're going to do three things. Number one, we're going to live in the gospel of John. I'm going to tell you more about that in just a minute. Trusting God to do the work that John was inspired to give us this account for that work. Believe that you might believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and that in believing you might have life in his name. We're going to live in the gospel of John for the next four weeks. We're going to depend on the Spirit to heighten our focus, our worship, and our joy in the victory that Christ won over sin and death this Easter season. Okay, We're, going to, we're not just going to fly by Easter Sunday. It's like one week and then it's over. We're going to take four weeks, and we're going to be really just building toward Easter Sunday where we celebrate the resurrection. Number three, and this is important, we're going to be providing ways and challenging you to engage more than ever intentionally in discipleship in your home. And I'm going to talk more about that too, okay? Here's how we're going to do this. I'm going to talk about what, we, what the home part first. Starting today at, and the, the, continuing the next three Sundays at 1 o'clock, an email is going to hit your inbox, now, if you don't have email, this is also going to be on social media. It'll be on our website. And if you're not an internet person, might be a few of you among us, uh, then we've got some hard copies in the back. But we only printed 15. So if, unless you just are scared to death of the internet, you're not even really sure what it is, don't grab <laughs> one of those back there, okay? Here's what's going to be available to you in, the, in that resource, okay? Number one the sermon text for the upcoming Sunday. Sermon text for the upcoming Sunday in the Gospel of John. Second thing is there's going to be an extended at-home reading around the sermon text for that week so that you can live all around the context of what's going to be taught the upcoming Sunday. There's going to be a key verse from the sermon text for you to memorize, work on memorizing, you and your family, there's also going to be a short paragraph that's going to help you dive in to where we'll be living in the Gospel of John that week. And then there's a family prayer 
that's geared towards children and students that's really just meant to help you engage in prayer with your family, particularly with your children and students. A great way to let them, if you're, uh, you know, Mary and I have talked a lot about this. We've been trying to teach our children to pray, and my, my children aren't in here right now, so I'll say this. There, there's just been a lot of times where I'm like, man, their praying is weak. We've talked about this. We want them to grow in their praying. Well, these family prayers might be a helpful tool to help you help your children grow in praying. It might be helpful to you if prayer is new to you. Don't take that as an insult. If praying on a regular basis is new to you, these prayers will be helpful to you. Here's what we know is that some of you in your homes are incredibly consistent and intentional with scripture and prayer and worship at home. Some of you are. Here's what we also know. I'm not trying to sound negative or make anybody feel guilty. Some of you are not very consistent and you want to be. Others of you, the only time you're in the word, the only time you even really give God a whole lot of thought is when you're at church on Sunday. Okay? Regardless of where you are, if COVID has taught us anything, it has taught us that, yes, the church gathered is hugely important, but what we do in our home is of equal importance. So if you, if you haven't considered that, look, let me just talk about the different ways in which you could do this. And let me talk to those of you that you're like, doing this at home, praying, reading with your spouse, with your children, with your whole family, feel scary, intimidating, or you feel guilty because you haven't done it and you're, you're, you're afraid to just start, let, let me just make a couple of suggestions. Number one, if nothing else, take one evening a week, one evening a week, and read the key verse. It's one verse. And then pray the prayer together. Feeling a little bit more adventurous? Live in the sermon text. One evening, two evenings. Those of you that have been taking the reading scripture class and you're wanting more practice, here you go. Read the sermon text, stew on it all week, and then come in and hear it taught. Okay? Ahead of time. Read it. Or, if you're really feeling froggy, spread out the extended at-home reading throughout the week. Live in that. You're laughing at me. Rachel's laughing at me, froggy. <laughs> Live in it all week long and memorize the key verse. Utilize the prayer with your children. Any and all of that is possible, okay? Now, in addition to those things, in that email, here's what you're also going to find. There's going to be a link to Stephen's, uh, our music minister, Stephen's Pray About Everything CD, which is just acoustic, uh, soft music. It's great to pray by. Even the title tracks are prayer prompts. There's, I think, five or six tracks on there. We, we sometimes turn it on while we're cooking dinner. It's fantastic. So you can put that in the background while you're having your prayer time. It's another resource available to you. There's also, and I'm so proud of our staff, particularly Mary, who, I don't know if you can see this, um, we've got a, uh, a, a lock screen. I don't even know what to call it. A lock screen with the key verse for the week that'll be easy to download in the email that you get, okay? So you can have that on your phone. And look, every time I pick up my phone, there it is. I've already got it memorized, okay? So that's a helpful thing. There's also an article, and this is another huge piece for the at-home, that talks about a rhythm of feasting, 
and fasting during Lent. Feasting and fasting. Notice I said feasting first and not fasting. And there's a reason for that. The article talks about this. You might be familiar with the traditional fast during Lent where you fast Monday through Saturday and then on Sunday you feast leading up to Easter Sunday. We're obviously not observing that all the way through the Lenten season, but we want to challenge you starting, you could start today. Feast today and then begin a a rhythm of fasting from Monday through Saturday. Why would you do that? Let me read you a couple of short clips from the article, okay? A couple of short clips that I think will help you get a context for this. The, The author says, humanity tends to overindulge. Become addicted, feel guilty, steal food from others, etc., etc. Because of this, we start to think that feasting or the enjoyment of life, the celebrate and celebration must be bad things. We call them guilty pleasures. We perceive that fasting is true to spiritual life, but feasting and enjoyment are contradictory to them. But nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, we fast so that we can be prepared to properly feast. Fasting is the prelude. Feasting is the main event. What does the Bible call that great and glad day when the kingdom comes in its fullness? It's the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're not going to be fasting when that day comes. The author goes on, he says, The Sunday feasts in Lent are many Easter's. Celebrations of Christ's resurrection on the Lord's day. So they are times to celebrate, to enjoy life, food, and fellowship. They are not moments of guilty indulgence. Instead, they are a glimpse into the future life we are assured of in Christ. We need those weekly reminders of the future feast, even in the middle of our fast time. So here's our challenge. Again, starting today, you might need a little time to prepare and get going, that's okay, but as soon as possible, maybe today, choose some type of food and or drink to fast Monday through Saturday. Monday through Saturday. Number two, during the whole of this Easter season, our challenge is to unplug and disconnect from as much media and entertainment as possible. Monday through Saturday, at least. I'm going to try to stay unplugged on Sunday, too. I'm going to tell you more about the feast days. Okay? Number three, devote, during Monday to Saturday, devote the time and energy and longings that you would normally spend on that food or that drink or that entertainment to Scripture and prayer. And we've given you the resources with where to start with that. Okay? And then, on Sundays, feast. Feast with your family. Invite friends and neighbors over. Celebrate. Celebrate the grace of God in your life. Celebrate, yes, what you believe, but that you believe. Enjoy that. God intends for us to because these times of feasting and celebration, they're pointers to this. Look at this on the screen. Jeremiah 31. Then, this is Jeremiah prophesying to the people of Israel, but this is a pointer to that glad day when we will all enjoy the kingdom of God having come in its fullness. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, 
and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them. I will give them gladness for sorrow. I will feast, uh, I will feast the soul of the priest with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. Our feasting and celebration is as much a part of our spiritual growth and development as anything else. It's just that we're, we're still in this, this fallen body, this temporary body that's wasting away, and we have a tendency to overindulge. Okay? So however you do that, you don't have to overcomplicate it. It doesn't have to be overly complicated. Fasting is, is, a, is a matter of Christian freedom. Just choose something that, look, if it's too easy, okay, it should be a little hard. It should be something that's part of your daily rhythm that if you set it aside, you're going to be like, oh, I, oh, and it should be a prompter and a reminder to what Jesus told Satan when he tempted him to turn stones into bread. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So when we gather, that's the at-home part. When we gather, we're going to teach the four texts in the Gospel of John that you're going to get one each week at 1 o'clock on Sundays. And we're going to talk about, what we're going to see is we're going to see in the Gospel of John this progression of believing. Progression of believing as God does his work through this Jesus to grow believers in their trust and confidence and knowledge in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our children and our students are going to be tracking with us. In fact, they've already started. Uh, they've already started because they don't meet every Sunday. They've already started talking about some of these texts. And so your at-home conversations should at least be teed up for you to have because the children and students, I think Mandy's going over the first one today, okay, with the, with the elementary kids. We're going to take communion next Sunday, each of the next three Sundays at the end of the service. We're going to come to the Lord's table and also on Good Friday, we will take communion. So it'll be four times we're going to come to the table during this Easter season. And then on Easter Sunday, we're going to gather, and we're going to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and all that God has done and is doing in us. And here's what we're after. I'll read this and we're done. Why don't you stand and I'll dismiss you. Let me just read this to you. It'll be on the screen. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 We might not be doing all of these things that are listed here the next four weeks. But this is the heart of what we're after. Acts 2, verse 42, and they, talking about the early church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We're going to do that. I'm not an apostle. I don't mean that. But I mean we're going we're gonna to dive into one of the apostles' gospels. Teaching and the fellowship to break the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Boy, wouldn't that be awesome? God, like we talked about last week, would do something that required explanation. Oh, you might be led to pray that way. And all came upon every soul, as many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And all who believed, doesn't that just, ah, oh, all who believed 
were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. If the Lord leads you to be generous in this Easter season, go for it. As any had need, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Don't shortchange the feast days. They are not a reward or a guilty pleasure for your spiritual part of the week. They're as much a part of the, the growth that the Lord wants to do in you and your believing as the fasting. Celebrate and enjoy the goodness of God. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I'm just a little bit excited. I hope you are. Lord, help us. Help us in this. We are not, we are not enough on our own to lean into this amazing work that you're doing in us. So my prayer is that the Resurrection Church family would just, as your spirit leads, we would lean in to that work for the sake of you growing us in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, growing us in our believing, growing us in the joy of our salvation, and preparing us to celebrate the greatest victory that's ever been won. Jesus Christ walked through death and out the other side. So I thank you for that, and I trust you to do this work in and among our worshiping community over these next few weeks. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't move. What? Okay, this is my detail right here. Not detail like she keeps track of all the details is what I mean. If you aren't subscribed to the e-blast, this is a great reason to just go ahead and do that, okay? If you're not subscribed to the e-blast, you won't get the email. It will be on social media and it will be on our website, but if, the easiest way is just go ahead and sign up for the e-blast if you haven't already. It'll be in your inbox. Check your spam folder, okay? It'll be in your inbox at one o'clock today, so just a couple of hours. So love you guys. God bless you. Have a great week. We hope that the Lord has blessed you through today's message, and we would love to hear from you. Tell us how God is working in your life and how we can pray for you. You can also help us reach others by investing at resfaith.com give. Thanks again for joining us.